Hello, I'm Lauren Conway, and welcome to another episode of The Upyongo Line. As many of you know, our little global village, along with the rest of the world, is deep in the throes of fighting a worldwide pandemic, the coronavirus. Not that anybody in the upper Madawaska Valley has it yet, but even the good folks at the Upyongo Readers' Theatre must abide by the powers that be. So... Earlier this week, we were forced to cancel our St. Patrick's Day show that we had hoped to perform and record in front of a live audience at the old train station in Barry's Bay earlier today. That show was to become not only our podcast for tonight, but our tip of the hat to the Ottawa Valley Irish. Still, as the luck of the Irish would have it, we do have something up our green sleeve— Two one-act Irish comedies recorded earlier by the Maynooth Wing of the Upyongo Readers' Theatre. Both one-act plays were written by Isabella Augusta, or, as most people know her, Lady Gregory, one of the great Irish playwrights of all time. Along with William Butler Yeats, she founded the famous Abbey Theatre in 1904 Dublin. In many ways, Lady Gregory was not only the business brains behind that very successful Irish theatre, For years, she was also its resident comedic genius. Among the dozen or so comedies she wrote for the Abbey, one of our favorites is Hyacinth Halvey. It doesn't have a very Irish-sounding name. Still, it is chock full of ridiculous characters and wonderful Irish hilarity. Originally, it took place in a town that sounds, well, vaguely familiar. Many things can happen in a small town. A town perhaps no bigger than, say, Maynooth. A town, for instance, that has a railway station, and yet where on any particular day, nobody seems to be waiting for any train. Nobody ever seems to look both ways, east or west, north nor south. For everyone in town knows the routine. They just go about their business, perhaps only half noticing that there's somebody standing at the post office door as she looks towards her neighbor where there are a few other people lounging on a hot, sunny day. If you were a stranger, You wouldn't know who they were, but we know them. That's Mrs. Delaney, the postmistress. There's Mr. Cork, the butcher, sitting in a chair beside his own front door. And beside him hangs a dead sheep and a small bird, a thrush in a cage above. Over the sound of their quiet conversation, one can hear an approaching train whistle blowing as it comes into town, almost drowning out all other sounds. But no, not quite. There is also the sound of Fardy Farrell, the telegraph boy, playing on his mouth organ. There's the four o'clock train, Mr. Quirk. Is it now, Mrs. Delaney? And I not long after rising. It makes a man drowsy to be doing the half of his work in the night time, going about the country, looking for little stags or sheep, striving to knock a few dollars together. That contract for the soldiers gives me a great deal to attend to. I suppose so. It's hard enough on myself to be down ready for the mail car in the morning, sorting letters in the half-dark. It's often I haven't time to look who are the letters from, or the cards. It would be a pity you not to know any little news might be knocking about. If you did not have information of what's going on, who should have it? Was it you, ma'am, was telling me that the new sub-sanitary inspector would be arriving today? Today it is. He is coming. And it's likely he was in that train. There was a card about him to Sergeant Carden this morning. A young chap from Belleville, they say he was. So he is. One Hyacinth Halvey. And indeed, if all that is said of him is true, or if a quarter of it is true, he will be a credit to this town. Is that so? Testimonials he has by the score. To Father Griggan they were sent, registered they were coming and going, Would you believe me telling you that they weighed up to three pounds? There must be great bulk in them indeed. It is no wonder he is to get the job. He must have a great character, so many persons to write for him as what there did. It would be a great thing to have a character like that. Indeed. I am thinking it will be long before you will get the like of it, Farty Farrell. If I had the like of that character, it is not here carrying messages I would be. It's in Noonan's hotel I would be, driving cars. Here's the priest's housekeeper coming. So she is, and there is the sergeant a little while after her. Good evening to you, Miss Joyce. 
What way is his reverence today? Did he get any ease from the cough? Hey, did not indeed, Mrs. Delaney. Hey, has it sticking to him yet? Smothering ears in the night time, to most thing he comes short in his device. I am sorry now to hear that. He should mind himself well. It's easy to say, let him mind himself. What do you say to him going to the meeting tonight? As far as Reverence Freeman, I am come, Mr. Delaney. Here it is ready. I was just throwing an eye on it to see if there was any news. Good evening, Sergeant. I brought this notice, Mrs. Delaney. The announcement of the meeting to be held tonight in the courthouse. You might put it up here, convenient to the window. I hope you are coming to it yourself. I will come and welcome. I would do more than that for you, Sergeant. And you, Mr. Quirk? I'll come to be sure. I forget what this meeting is about. The Department of Agriculture is sending round a lecturer in furtherance of the moral development of the rural classes. It's right here on the poster. A lecture will be given this evening in the schoolhouse, illustrated by magic lantern slides. Those will not be in it, I am informed. They were all broken in the first journey, the railway company taking them to be eggs. The subject of the lecture is the building of character. Very nice indeed. I knew a girl lost her character, and she washed her feet in a blessed well after, and it dried up on the minute. The arrangements have all been left to me, the archdeacon being away. He knows I have a good intellect for things of the sort, but the loss of those slides puts a man out. The thing people will not see, it is not likely it is the thing they will believe. I saw what they call tableau, standing pictures, you know, one time in Peterborough. Miss Joyce was saying Father Warnock is supporting you. I am accepting his assistance. No bigotry about me when there is a question of the welfare of any fellow creatures. Orange and green will stand together tonight. I myself and the station master on the one side, your parish priest in the chair. If his reverence would mind me, he would not quit the house tonight. He is no more fit to go speak at a meeting than that sheep hanging over you, Mr. Quirk. I am willing to take the responsibility. He will have no speaking to do at all, unless it might be to bid them give the lecturer a hearing. The loss of those slides now is a great annoyance to me, and no time for anything. The lecturer will be coming by the next train. Who is this coming up the street, Miss Delaney? I wouldn't doubt it to be the new sub-sanitary inspector, Mr. Hyacinth Halvey. I was telling you of the weight of the testimonials he got, Miss Joyce. Sure, I heard the curate reading them to his reverence. He must be a wonder for his principles. Indeed, it is what I was saying to myself. He must be a very saintly young man. And so, our hero a stranger in these parts, enters upon our scene. Indeed, it is Mr. Hyacinth Halvey. He carries a small bag and a large brown paper parcel. He stops and nods bashfully. Good evening to you. I was bid to come to the post office. I suppose you are Hyacinth Halvey. I had a letter about you from the resident magistrate. I heard he was writing. It was my mother got a friend. He deals with to ask him. He gives you a very high character. Oh, it is very kind of him indeed. And he not known me at all. But indeed, all the neighbours were very friendly. Anything anyone could do to help me, they did it. I'll engage it is the testimonials you have in your parcel. I know the wrapping paper. But they grew in bulk since I handled them. Indeed, I was getting them to the last. There was not one refused me. It is what my mother was saying. A good character is no burden. I would believe that indeed. Let us have a look at the testimonials. Our hero, Hyacinth Halvey, opens the parcel and a large number of envelopes fall out. Somewhat dazed and embarrassed, Hyacinth pauses for only a second but long enough for the sergeant to bend down and retrieve the entire handful. But before handing them back, our good sergeant begins to read the testimonials out loud. He possesses the fire of the Gael, the strength of the Norman, the vigor of the Dane, the stolidity of the Saxon. It was the chairman of the poor law guardians wrote that. 
a magnificent example to old and young. That was the secretary of the Duet Hurling Club. A shining example of the value conferred by an eminently careful and high-class education. That was the national schoolmaster. Devoted to the highest ideals of his motherland, to such an extent as is compatible with a hitherto non-parliamentary career. That was the member for North Hastings. A splendid exponent of the purity of the race. The editor of the Bancroft Times. Admirably adapted for the efficient discharge of all possible duties that may in future be laid upon him. The new station master. A champion of every cause that can legitimately benefit his fellow creatures. Why, look here, my man. You are the very one to come to our assistance tonight. I'd be glad to do it. What way can I do it? You are a newcomer. Your example could carry weight. You must stand up as a living proof of the beneficial effect of a high character, moral fiber, temperance. There is something about it here, I am sure. I am sure I saw unparalleled temperance in some place. Oh, it's my, my mother's cousin wrote that. I am no drinker, but I haven't the pledge to you. You might take it for the purpose. Here is a temperance button. I was made a present of it by one of my customers. I'll give it to you. And welcome. That is it. You can wear the button on the platform, or a bit of blue ribbon. Hundreds will follow your example. I know the boys from the workhouse will. I am in no way wishful to be an example. I will read extracts from the testimonials. There he is, I will say. An example of one in early life, who by his own unaided efforts and his high character has obtained a profitable situation. I know what I'll do. I'll engage a few corner boys from the Arlington, just as they are, greasy and sodden, to stand in a group. There will be the contrast. The sight will deter others from a similar fate. That's the way to do a tableau. I knew I could turn out a success. I wouldn't like to be a contrast. I will go now and engage those lads. Sixpence each, and well worth it. Nothing like an example for the rural classes. A very nice man indeed. A little high up in himself, maybe. I'm not the one that blames the police. Sure, they have their own bread to earn like every other one. And indeed, it is often they will let a thing pass. Sometimes they will, but more times they will not. And where will you be finding a lodging, Mr. Halvey? I was going to ask that myself, ma'am. I don't know the town. I know of a good lodging, but it is only a very good man would be taken into it. Sure, there could be no objection there to Mr. Halvey. There is no appearance on him but what is good. And the sergeant, after taking him up the way he is doing? Yeah, would be near to the sergeant in the lodging I speak of. The house is convenient to the barracks. To the barracks? Alongside of it, and the barrack yard behind. And that's not all. It is opposite to the priest's house. Opposite, is it? A very respectable place indeed, and a very clean room you will get. I know it well. The curate can see it from his window. Can he now? There was a good money, I'm thinking, went into that lodging and left it after. It is a lodging you will never be let into or let stop in Fardy. If they did go, they were a good riddance. John Hart, the plumber, left it. If he did, it was because he dared not pass the police coming in as he used with a rabbit he was after snaring in his hand. The schoolmaster himself left it. I needn't have left it if he hadn't taken to card playing. What way could you say a prayers with shadows and shuffling and dialing before you on the blind? I think maybe I'd best look around a bit before I'll settle into a lodging. Not at all. You won't be wanting to pull down the blind. It's not likely you'll be snaring rabbits. Or bringing in a bottle and taking the odd glass the way James Kelly did. Or writing threatening notices and the police taking a view of you from the rear. Are going to roadside dances or running after good-for-nothing young girls? Oh, I give you my word, I'm not so harmless as you think. Would you be putting a lie on these, Mr. Halvey? I knew well the way you will be spending the evenings. 
Writing letters to your relations. Learning self-improvement exercises. Picking postcards in an album for the convent bazaar. Writing the Catholic young man. Playing the melodies on the melodeon. Looking at the pictures in the lawyers of the saints. I'll hurry on and engage the room for you. Wait, wait a minute. No trouble at all. I told you it was just opposite. I suppose I must go upstairs and ready myself for the meeting. If it wasn't for the contract, I have for the soldier's barracks and the sergeant's good word, I wouldn't go near it. I should be making myself ready too. I must be in good time to see you being made an example of, Mr. Halvey. It is I myself was the first to say it. You will be a credit to this town. I wish I'd never seen Maynooth. What is on you? I wish I'd never left Belleville. I wish I'd been drowned the first day I thought of it, and I'd be better off. What is it ails you? I wouldn't for the best pound ever I had be in this place today. I don't know what you're talking about. To have left Belleville. If it was a poor place where I had my comrades, and an odd spree, and a game of cards, and a horse race or two coming on, and I promised to take the boys to Woodbine, I'll die in this place the way I am. I am too much closed in. Sure, it mightn't be as bad as what you think. Will you tell me, I ask you? What way can I undo it? What is it you're wanting to undo? Will you tell me what way I can get rid of my good character in this place? To get rid of it, is it? That is what I said. Aren't you after hearing the great character they're after putting on me? That is a good thing to have. It is not. It is the worst in the world. If I hadn't it, I wouldn't be like a prized thoroughbred at the show with every person praising me. If I had it, I wouldn't be like a head in a barrel with every person making hits at me. If I hadn't it, I wouldn't be shoved into a room with all the clergy watching me and the police in the backyard. If I had it, I wouldn't be but a message carrier now and a clapper scaring birds into summertime. If I hadn't it, I wouldn't be wearing this button and brought up for an example at the meeting. Maybe you're not so what those papers did make you out to be. How would I be what they make me out to be? Was there ever any person of that sort, since the world was a world, unless it might be St. Ignatius Martyr looking down from the chapel wall? If it is like that I was, isn't it in Mar Mount Carmel I would be, or with the monks in Oka? Why would I be living in the world at all, or doing the world's work? Who would think now there would be so much lies in a small place like Belleville? It was my mother's cousin did it. He said I was not reared for labouring. He gave me a new suit and bid me never to come back again. I daren't go back to face him. The neighbours knew my mother had a long family. Bad luck to them the day they gave me these. I'm done with testimonials. They won't be here to bear witness against me. The sergeant taught them to be great. Sure he has the samples of them in his pocket. There's not one in the town but will know before morning that you are the next thing to an earthly saint. I'll stop their mouths. I'll show them I can be a terror for badness. I'll do some injury. I'll commit some crime. First thing I'll do, I'll go and get drunk. If I never did it before, I'll do it now. I'll get drunk and then I'll make an assault. I tell you, I'd think as little of taking a life as of blowing out a candle. If you get drunk, you are done for. Sure, that will be held up after as an excuse for any breaking of the law. I will break the law. Drunk or sober, I'll break it. I'll do something that will have no excuse. What would you say is the worst crime that any man can do? Oh, I, I don't know. I heard the sergeant saying one time it was to obstruct the police in the discharge of their duty. Oh, that won't do. It's a patriot I would be then, worse than before with my picture in the weeklies. It's a red crime I must commit that will make all respectable people quit minding me. What can I do? Search your mind now. Hmm. It's what I heard the old people saying. There could be no worse crime than to steal a sheep. I'll steal a sheep. Or a cow. Or a horse. If that will leave me the way I was before. It's maybe in jail it will leave you. Oh, I don't care. I'll confess. I'll tell why I did it. I give you my word, I would as soon be picking oakum or breaking stones as to be perched in the daylight that same as that bird and all the town chirruping to me or bidding me chirrup. There is reason in that now. Help me, will you? Well, if it is to steal the sheep you want, you haven't far to go. 
Where is it? I see no sheep. Look around you. I see no living thing but that thrush. Did I say it was living? What is that hanging on Quirk's rack? Oh, it's it's a sheep, sure enough. Well, what ails you that you can't bring it away? It's a dead one. What matter if it is? If it was living, I could drive it before me. You could? Is it to your own lodging you would drive it? Sure, everyone would take it to be a pet you brought from Belleville. I suppose they might. Miss Joyce sending in for news of it, and it bleeding behind the bed. Oh, such a situation to be in. Poor Hyacinth, trapped as it were by his own reputation for being, well, too good to be true. Perhaps there is a way out, or at least a window to fly out of. Stop! Stop! Did you hear that? If only there were a window he could fly out of, instead of the window above him, being slowly opened by Mrs. Delaney. Farty! Are you there, Farty Farrell? I am, ma'am. Look inside and tell me, is that the telegraph I hear ticking? It is, ma'am. Then botheration to it, and I not dressed or undressed. Wouldn't you say now it's to annoy me it is calling me down? I'm coming, I'm coming. Hurry on now, hurry. She'll be coming out on you. If you're going to do it, do it. And if you're not, let it alone. I'll do it, I'll do it. And true to his word, Hyacinth tugged at the dead hanging sheep and unhooked it. I'll give you a hand with it. You told me no place where I could hide it. You needn't go far. There's a church beyond, at the side of the square. Go round to the ditch behind the wall. There's high shrubbery in it. Oh, that'll do. She's coming out. Run, run. Oh, it's slipping. Hoist it up. I'll give it a hoist. What are you doing, Farty Farrell? Is it idling you are? Oh, waiting I am, ma'am, for the message. Never mind the message yet. Who said it was ready? Go ask for the loan up. No, but ask the news up. Here, now go bring that bag of Mr. Halby's to the lodging Miss Joyce has taken. I will, ma'am. Nobody here? Mr. Quirk, Mr. Quirk, James Quirk. And where should our man James Quirk be? Why, upstairs in his bathroom over his shop. And upon hearing his name called out, he throws up his window and sticks out his head, his face covered in shaving soap. What is it, Mrs. Delaney? Come down here till I tell you. I cannot do that. I'm not fully shaved. You'd come if you knew the news I have. Tell it to me now. I'm not so supple as I was. Whisper now. Have you an enemy in any place? It's likely I may have. A man in business... I was thinking you had one. Why would you think that at a time more than any other time? If you could know what is in this envelope, you would know that, James Quirk. Is that so? And what now is there in it? Who do you think now it's addressed to? How would I know that now not seeing it? That's true. Well... It is a message from the Belleville Police to the Sergeant of our police. To Sergeant Carden, is it? It is, and it concerns yourself. Myself, is it? What accusation can they be bringing against me? I'm a peaceable man. Wait till you hear. Maybe they think I was in that moonlighting case. That's not it. I was not in it. I was but in the neighboring field, cutting up a dead cow that those never had a hand in. You're out of it. They had their faces blackened. There's no man can say I recognize them. That's not what they're saying. I'll swear I did not hear their voices or know them if I did hear them. I tell you, it has nothing to do with that. It might be better for you if it had. What is it so? It is an order to the sergeant bidding him immediately to seize all the suspicious meat in your house. There is an officer coming down. There are complaints from the Trenton barracks. I'll engage it was that pork. What ailed it for them to find fault? People are so hard to please nowadays, and I recommended them to salt it. They had a right to have minded your advice. There was nothing on that pig at all that it went mad on poor O'Grady that owned it. So I heard, and went killing all before it. Sure, it's only in the brain madness can be. I heard the doctor saying that. He should know. I give you my word, I cut the head off it. I went to the loss of it, throwing it to the fish in the creek. If they had salted the meat as I advised them, what harm would it have done to any person on the earth? I hope no harm will come on poor Mrs. Quirk and the family. 
Maybe it wasn't that, but some other thing. Here's Farty. I must send the message to the sergeant. Well, Mr. Quirk, I'm glad I had the time to give you a warning. I'm obliged to you indeed. You were always very neighborly, Mrs. Delaney. Don't be too quick now sending the message. There's just one article I would like to put away out of the house before the sergeant will come. Here now, Farty. That's not the way you're going to the work. Anyone would think you were scaring birds yet. Put on your uniform. You have a, this message to bring to the sergeant of police. Get your cap now. It's under the counter. I'll bring it to the railway station. It's there he's going. You will not, but to the police station. It can wait for him there. It was indeed a very neighborly act, Mrs. Delaney, and I'm obliged to you. There's just one article to put out of the way. The sergeant may look about him then and welcome. It's well I cleared the premises on yesterday. A consignment to Burry's Bay I sent. The Lord be praised isn't Canada a terrible country with all its consumes. Indeed. You always treat the neighbors very decent, Mr. Quirk. Not asking them to buy from you. Just one article. That sheep I brought in last night. It was for a charity. Indeed, I bought it from the widow woman at Lake St. Peter. Where would the poor make a profit out of their dead meat without me? Where now is it? Well now, I could have sworn that that sheep was hanging there on the rack when I went in. You must have put it in some other place. I did not. There's no other place for me to put it. Is it gone blind I am or is it not in it? It's not there anyway. Didn't you take notice of it there yourself this morning? I have in my mind that I did, but it's not there now. There was no one here could bring it away. Is it me myself you suspect of taking it, James Quirk? Where is it at all? It is certain it was not of itself it walked away. It was dead, and very dead, the time I bought it. I have a pleasant neighbor indeed that accuses me that I took his sheep. I wonder indeed you say a thing like that. I, to steal your sheep, or your rack, or anything that belongs to you, or to your trade? Thank you, James Quirk. I am much obliged to you indeed. Ah, be quiet, woman, be quiet. And let me tell you, James Quirk, that I would sooner starve and see everyone belonging to me starve than to eat the size of a thimble of any joint that ever was on your rack, that will ever be on it, whatever the soldiers may eat, that have no other thing to get, or the soldiers' wives that devour all sorts, or the poor ravenous people that's down by Lake Ontario. Don't be talking foolishness, woman. Who said you took my meat? Give heed to me now. There must be some other message have come. The sergeant must have got some other message. If there's any other way for a message to come that is quicker than to come by the wires, tell me what it is, and I'll be obliged to you. The sergeant was up here making an excuse he was sticking up that notice. What was he doing up here, I ask you? How would I know what brought him? It is what he did. He made as if to go away, he turned back again, and I shaven. He brought away the sheep. He will have it for evidence against me. That might be so. I would sooner it to have been any other beast nearly ever I had upon the rack. Is that so? I bade the widow Scott to kill it a fortnight ago, but she would not. She was that covetous. What was on it? How would I know what was on it? Whatever was on it, it was the will of God put it upon it. Wasted it was and shivering and refusing its share. The poor thing! Gone all to nothing. Wore away like a flock of tread. It did not weigh as much as a lamb at two months. It is likely the inspector will bring it to Belleville? The ribs of it streaky with the dint of patent medicines. I wonder it's to the petty sessions you'll be brought, or is it to the sizes? I'll speak up to them. I'll make my defense. What can the army expect for pennies a pound? It is likely there will be no bail allowed. Would they be wanting me to give them good quality meat out of my own pocket? Is it to encourage them to fight the poor Indians and the Africans they would have me? It's the anti-conscription society would pay for the fine for me. It's not a fine will be put on you, I'm afraid. It's five years in jail you'll be apt to be getting. Well, I'll try and be a good neighbor to poor Mrs. Quirk. Oh, oh poor Mr. Quirk. He began stamping his feet up and down before finally sitting down as Halvey comes in and stands shyly beside him. 
Hadn't I heart scalding enough before striving to rear five weak children? I suppose they'll be sent to the industrial schools. My poor wife. I'm afraid the workhouse. And she out in a donkey cart this minute helping me to follow my trade. I hope they will not arrest her along with you. I'll give myself up to justice. I'll plead guilty. I'll be recommended to mercy. It might be the best for you. Who would think so great a misfortune could come upon a family through the bringing away of one sheep? Um, uh, let me make yourself easy. Easy? It's easy to say, let you make yourself easy. I can tell you where it is. Where what is? The sheep you're fretting after. And what do you know about it? I know everything about it. I suppose the sergeant told you. He told me nothing. I suppose the whole town knows it so. No one knows it, as yet. And the sergeant didn't see it? No one saw it or brought away it but myself. Where'd you put it at all? In the ditch behind the church wall, in among the prickly shrubbery it is. Look at the way they have me stung. In the ditch? The best hiding place in the town. I never thought it would bring such great trouble upon you. You can't say anything I did not tell you. You yourself had brought it away and had hid it. I suppose it was coming in the train you got information about this message to the police. What now do you say to me? Say? I say I'm as glad to hear what you said as if it was the Lord telling me I'd be in heaven this minute. What are you going to do to me? Do is it? Any earthly thing you would wish me to do, I will do it. I suppose you will tell. Tell? It's I that will tell when all is quiet. It is I will give you the good name through the town. I don't well understand. The man that preserved me. That preserved you? That kept me from ruin. From ruin? That saved me from disgrace. What is he saying at all? From the inspector. What is he talking about? From the magistrates. He is making some mistake. From the winter assizes. Is he out of his wits? Five years in jail. Hasn't he the queer talk? The loss of the contract. Are my own wits gone astray? What way can I repay you? I tell you, I took the sheep. You did. God reward you. I stole away with it. The blessing of the poor on you. I put it out of sight. The blessing of my five children. I may as well say nothing. Let you be quiet now, Quirk. Here's the sergeant coming to search the shop. And so the sergeant comes in as Mr. Quirk finally lets go of Halvey's arm. As the young man stands apart and tries to occupy himself by arranging his hat, and smoothing out his suit of clothes. The department to blazes. What is putting you out? To go to the train to meet the lecturer, and there to get a message through the guard that he was unavoidably detained in the south, holding an inquest on the remains of a drake. The lecturer it is. To be sure, what else would I be talking of? The lecturer has failed me, and where am I to go looking for a person that I would think fitting to take his place? And that's all? And you didn't get any message but the one? Is that all? I am surprised at you, Mrs. Delaney. Isn't it enough to upset a man within three quarters of an hour of the time of the meeting? Where, I would ask you, am I to find a man that has education enough and wit enough and character enough to put up speaking on the platform on the minute? It is I myself will tell you that. You? Look here, Sergeant. There is not one word was said in all those papers about this young man, Mr. Halvey, who stands before you, but it is true. And there could be no good thing said of him that would not be too good for him. It might not be a bad idea. Whatever the paper said about him, Sergeant, I can say more again. It has come to my knowledge, by chance, that since he came to this town, that young man has saved a whole family from destruction. That is much to his credit. Helping the rural classes. A family, and a long family, big and little, like sods of the turf, and they dependent on a on one that might be on his way to dark trouble at this minute if it was not for his assistance. Believe me, he is the most sensible man, the wittiest, and the kindest, and the best helper of the poor that ever stood before you in this square. Is that not so, Mrs. Delaney? Tis true indeed. Where he gets his wisdom and his wit and his information from, I don't know. Unless it might be that he is gifted from above. Well, Mrs. Delaney, I think we have settled that question. Mr. Halvey, you will be the speaker at the meeting. The lecturer sent these notes. You can lengthen them into a speech. You can call to the people of Maynooth to stand out, to begin the building of their character. I saw a lecturer do it one time at Peterborough. Come up here, he said. 
Dare to be a Daniel, he said. I can't. I won't. You will find it quite easy. I will conduct you to the platform. These papers before you and a glass of water. That's settled. Follow me on to the courthouse in half an hour. I must go to the barracks first. I heard there was a telegram. Don't be late, Mrs. Delaney. Mind, Quirk. You promised to come. Well, it's time for me to make an ending of settling myself. And indeed, Mr. Quirk, you'd best do the same. I suppose so. I had best keep on good terms with him for the present. Well, now, I had a great escape this day. And so Mr. Quirk and Mrs. Delaney go their separate ways, while only Hyacinth remains, as confused and troubled as ever until Farty comes back, whistling as usual. I don't know what has come upon the world, that the half of the people of it should be cracked. Weren't you found out yet? Found out, is it? I don't know what you mean by being found out. Didn't he miss the sheep? He did, and I told him it was I who took it. And what happened, I declare to goodness, I don't know. Will you look at these? More papers? Are they more testimonials? Oh, they are worse. <laughs> Will you come and see me on the platform? These in my hand, and I speaking, giving out advice. Why didn't you tell me, that time you advised me to steal a sheep, that in this town it would qualify a man to go preaching, and the priest in the chair looking on? The time I took a few apples that had fallen off a stall, they did not ask me to hold a meeting. They beat me well until I had welts up and down myself. Oh, I would take apples if I could see them. I wish I'd broke me neck before I left Belleville and I'd be better off. I wish I'd got six months the time I was caught setting snares. I wish I'd robbed a church. Would a Protestant church do? I suppose it wouldn't be so great a sin. It's likely the sergeant would think worse of it. Anyway, if you want to rob one, it's the Protestant church that is the handiest. Show me what way to do it. I was going around it a few minutes ago to see might there be a dog sent in the sheep, and I noticed the window being out. Out? Indeed it was, where they were putting coloured glass in it. What good does that do to me? Every good. You could go in by that window if you had some person to give you a hoist. Whatever riches there is to get in it then, you'll get them. I don't want riches. I'll give you all I will find if you will come and hoist me. Here's Miss Joyce coming to bring you to your lodging. Sure, I brought your bag to at the time you're away with the sheep. Run, run! And so, the two would-be criminals go off. And not a moment too soon, as who should arrive but Miss Joyce looking for Miss Delaney, who is just inside her own door. Are you here, Mrs. Delaney? Where can you tell me is Mr. Halvey? It's likely he's gone on to the courthouse. Did you hear? He is to be in the chair and to make an address to the meeting? He's getting on fast. His reverence says he will be a good help in the parish. Who would think now to be such a godly young man in a little place like Minute? The words were not out of Miss Joyce's mouth when who should come speedily down the street but the sergeant, all in a fluster, grasping a telegram in his sweaty palm. What time did this telegram arrive, Mrs. Delaney? I couldn't be rightly sure, Sergeant, but sure it's marked on it, unless the clock I have has gone wrong. It is marked on it, and I have the time I got it marked on my own watch. Well, now, I wonder none of the police would have followed you with it from the barracks, and they with so little to do. Well, I am sorry to do what I have to do, but duty is duty. And so the good sergeant ransacks Mr. Quirk's shop as Mrs. Delaney looks on and Mr. Quirk puts his head out of the window from upstairs. What is that going on inside? Is there anyone inside, I ask? It must be that dog of Tanian's. Wait till I get at him. It is Sergeant Carden, Mr. Quirk. He would seem to be looking for something. With that, Mr. Quirk rushes down into his shop while the sergeant comes outside and makes another dive in the sacks piled up outside the shop looking frantically for some sort of evidence involving the sheep. I'm greatly afraid I am just out of meat, Sergeant, and I'm sorry now to disoblige you and you not being in the habit of dealing with me. I should think not indeed. Looking for a tender little bit of lamb, I suppose you are, for Mrs. Carden and the youngsters. I am not. If I had it now, I'd be proud to offer it to you and make no charge. I'll be killing a good kid tomorrow. Mrs. Carden might fancy a bit of it. I have had orders to search your establishment for unwholesome meat, and I am come here to do it. Is that so? 
Well, isn't it a wonder the schemers that does be in the world? It is not the first time there have been complaints. Oh, I suppose not. Well, it is on their own head it will fall at the last. I have found nothing so far. I suppose not indeed. What is there you could find and it not in it? Have you no meat at all upon the premises? I have indeed a nice barrel of bacon. What way did it die? It would be hard for me to say that. American it is. How would I know what way they do be killing the pigs down there? Machinery, I suppose, to have steam hammers. Is there nothing else here at all? I give you my word there is no meat living or dead in this place but yourself and myself and that bird above in the cage. Well, I must tell the inspector I could find nothing, but mind yourself for the future. Thank you, Sergeant. I will do that. Just as the sergeant was about to leave, who should appear coming around the corner but Farty? who tried to stop short when he saw the look of the good sergeant, his face all contorted with confusion and disappointment at not finding any evidence. Upon seeing Fardy, however, that face breaks out into a strange kind of smile, as though he is about to solve the crime of the century. It was you delayed that message to me, I suppose. You'd best mend your ways, or I'll have something to say to you. That's the way everyone does be faulting me. The sergeant gives him another shake, and as he does, what should drop out of the young telegraph boy's pocket but a silver dollar? Before he has a chance to recover it, Miss Joyce bends down and examines it carefully. A silver dollar? Where now did you get that much fardy? Oh, where did I get it, is it? I'll engage it was in no honest way you got it. I picked it up in the street. If you did, why didn't you bring it to the sergeant or to his reverence? And some poor person may be being at a loss of it. I'd best bring it to his reverence. Come with me, Fardy, till he will question you about it. It was not altogether in the street I found it. There now, I knew you got it in no good way. Tell me now. It was playing pitch and toss. I, I won it. And who would play for silver dollars with the like of you, Fardy Farrell? Who was it now? It was a stranger. Do you hear that? A stranger. <laughs> Did you see e'er a stranger in this town, Mrs. Delaney, or Sergeant Carden, or Mr. Quark? Not a one. There was no stranger here. There could not be one here without me knowing it. I tell you there was. Ah, come on, Dan, and tell who he was to his reverence. Or to the bench. I did get it, I tell you, from a stranger. Where is he so? He's in some place, not far away. Bring him to me. He'll be coming here. Tell me the truth, and it'll be better for you. Let me go, and I will. Now, who did you get it from? From that young chap came today, Mr. Halvey. Mr. Halvey? What are you saying, you young ruffian, you? Why isn't Halvey to be playing pitch and toss with the like of you? I didn't say that. You said it now. Why isn't Halvey the best man that ever come into this town? Well, what lies he has. It is my belief that silver dollar is a bad one. Maybe it's to pass off it was given to him. There were gypsies in the town at the time of the fair. Give it here to me. No, indeed, it's sound enough. Here, Sergeant, it's best for you to take it. Can it be? Can it be what I think it to be? What is it? What do you take it to be? It is, it is, I know it. I know this silver dollar. That is a queer thing now. I know it well. I have been handling it in the church for the last year. Is that so? It is the nest egg silver dollar we hand round in the collection plate every Sunday morning. I know it by the dint on the Queen's temples and the crooked scratch under her nose. So there is, too. This is a bad business. It has been stolen from the church. Oh, oh, oh! You have robbed the church. I tell you, I never did. I have the proof of it. Say what you like. I never put a foot in it. How did you get this so? I suppose from a stranger. I suppose it was Hyacinth Helvey gave it to you now? It was so. I suppose it was he robbed the church? You will not believe me if I say it. Oh, the young vagabond. Let me get at him. Here he is himself now. 
It is time you come, Mr. Helvey, and shut the mouth of this young schemer. I would like to hear what he says of you, Mr. Helvey. Peach and toss, he says. Robbery, he says. Robbery of a church. Farty Farrell has a bad name long enough. Let him to go to a reformatory now. Save me! Save me! I'm a poor boy trying to knock out a way of living. I'll be destroyed if I go to a reformatory. I'll save you easy enough. Don't let me be jailed. I'm going to tell them. I'm a poor orphan. Will you let me speak? I'll get no more chance in the world. Sure, I'm trying to free you. I'll be tasked to me always. Be quiet, can't you? Don't you desert me. Will you be silent? Take it on yourself. I will if you'll Tell let them me. you did it. I am going to do that. Tell them it was you got in at the window. I will, I will. Say it was you robbed the box. I'll say it, I'll say it. It being open. Let me tell. Of let all me tell. that was in it. I'll tell them that. And gave it to me. Will you stop and let me speak? We can't be wasting time. Give him here to me. I can't do that. He must be let alone. He'll be let alone in the lockup. He must not be brought there. I'll let no man get him off. I will get him off. You will not. I will. Do you think to buy him off? I will buy him off with my own confession. And what will that be? It was I who robbed the church. That is likely indeed. Let him go. And take me. I tell you I did it. It would take witnesses to prove that. Ferdy will be my witness. Oh, Mr. Halvey, I would not wish to do that. Get me off and I will say nothing. Sure, you must. You will be put on oath in the court. I will not. I will not. All the world knows I don't understand the nature of an oath. Is it blind y'all are? What are you talking Is about? It fools y'all are. Speak for yourself. Is it idiots y'all are? Mind who you're talking to. Can't you see? Can't you hear? Where are your wits? Was there ever such a thing seen in this town? Say out what you have to say. A walking saint he is. Maybe so. The preserver of the poor. Talk of the holy martyrs. They are nothing at all to what he is. Will you look at him? To save that poor boy he is going. To take the blame on himself he is going. To say he himself did the robbery he is going. Before the magistrate he is going. To jail he is going. Taking the blame on his own head. Putting the sin on his own shoulders. Letting on to have done the robbery. Telling a lie that might be forgiven him and to his own injury. Doing all that, I tell you, to save the character of a miserable, slack lad that rose in poverty. Oh. Now, what do you say? Mr. Halvey, you have given us all a lesson. To please you, I will make no information against the boy. I will put back the silver dollar in the poor box next Sunday. But to you, Farty, what have you to say to your benefactor? I'm obliged to you, Mr. Halvey. You behave very decent to me, very decent indeed. I'll never let a word be said against you if I live to be a hundred years. Uh, I will tell it at the meeting. It will be a great encouragement to them to build up their character. I'll tell it to the priest, and he taking the chair. Oh, stop, will you? The chair. It's in the chair he himself should be. It's in the chair we'll put him now. It's to cheer him through the streets, we will. Sure, he'll be an example and a blessing to the whole of the town. Now, Sergeant, give a hand. Here, Farty. And so it was on that hot, sunny day in, where did we say? Somewhere in Ireland, was it? In a place called Minus. Well, wherever it was, it was no ordinary day and no ordinary town. Come along now to the courthouse and three cheers for Hyacinth Helvey. I think it's fair to say they all lived happily ever after. Not so with our second comedy. It is much shorter, and it might also have happened around here, although it was written by Lady Gregory about a certain Dublin convalescent home. It was there that two ancient frenemies found themselves. They had grown up together, and somehow, near the end of their lives, had ended up on the same ward that left everybody else refereeing, egging them on or else running for cover. Here is Lady Gregory's The Workhouse Ward. Are you better today, Maureen? Would you like anything? I am better than I was yesterday. May God be with you. Is there anything you're wanting? Not a thing. I am thankful to you. And are you better, Colleen? No loss at all on me, ma'am, thank you. But the cough that is sticking to me always and the sort of itching on my heart. It seems to me that if it could be pulled out and scoured and put back again, I would have some ease. Ah, oh, Colleen, 
I'm afraid there's no doctor in Dublin itself could do that feat for you. Is there anything you're wanting? There is not, but a vessel of water or milk to be beside me. The thirst is attacking me like always. I cannot satisfy it. Did the doctor give you leave to have the milk? He did not say against it. There's a man below asking to say a couple of words to you. He came to take some old woman with him out of this house. If she got leave from you... That'll do. I'll come down with you. Hey, Colleen, I'll be back in the end of a half hour and I'll put a vessel of milk at the head of your bed. Don't be giving the whole of the milk to that woman. Give Sherbet back to me. I will, when I come back. Aren't you the devil to be asking milk of the mistress and you not wanting it? Why would I not be wanting it the same as yourself? There is no thirst on you, no more than on the post of my bed. But envying me and jealous of me you are, the way you always were for three score years, as you will be forever. Envying you and jealous of you? <laughs> oh, Ra, isn't that a pretty old schemer I'd be jealous of? An old corpse of speckled shins as that's in you. Oh, murder! There's the paired and beginning again. Shut your mouth. We'll have the sport. Old corpse of speckled shins, does she say? Ora. Oh, Lord, if I could rise out of this bed, it is short till she would know what sort of a corpse I am. Stick to her, Colleen. Totally with Colleen, Maureen. I will not leave it, and it is not right to leave it, when she knows in the middle of her dusty old heart there is no old sprillaire in Ireland could be put beside her for lion, for knavery, for soft-headedness, and for brutishness. Methuselah, it's I who knows who's quarrelsome and lion from nature that had not but knavery in her heart and the lies in her mouth since she was put out of the cradle. The poor widow that had nothing of the star and costed the world but the three ducks only, who stole them from her. Answer me that. I saw her doing it now. If I did that trick itself and I a girl, it wasn't to the super school I used to be going to get my share of learning like yourself now. To the super school? Oh, listen to that. The most respectable man in Ireland it was that taught me my share of learning. He did not teach me to go backbiting other people and telling lies about them to get the place for myself the way you did about Seamus O'Connor. And who burned Sean Bansburn? Answer me that. That's it, Maureen. Now, Colleen, give it to her. And if I set fire to Sean Burn, it wasn't by myself I was. But I was along with the honestest and most respectable people in the parish that would do nothing but the thing would be honest and right. A company that you were never in the like of, for you would not be let into it. Long life to you, Colleen. Now, Maureen, give her a prick. It's true for you. I never practiced to be among the thieves and the destroyers and the rapparees of the world like yourself. I had no acquaintance with them. It's not burning barns or robbing people I used to be, but giving heed to my own work. I know well what your own work was. Who was it put a good appearance on the two bullocks that had the disease on them and sold them, and they died on the morrow? You went bail for them that they were sound, and you denied it after. Who drove Seamus Rod's ass before her when he found it on the road and said that it was her own? And who hung her old blouse out the window at the time the king came, seeking to be made a magistrate she was? And you without the use of your feet. I had once the use of my feet... And it's a thing you never had. Didn't Nolan O'Brien say of your dancing long ago that it was a better dance you'd make to leave your legs at home and to be dancing on your head? But what did Nolan say when he saw you scratching and scraping yourself at the mass? He said there wasn't a boy in the seven parishes that you wouldn't scare. How well I didn't scare Red Sean when you thought you had him yourself. And a creature. It's little of the pleasures of the world he had after that. I never lay for three hours of the clock in the middle of the street on a fair day, and I read drunk till the peelers brought me with them to the barracks. That's true for you. It was never drunkenness or anything half as respectable brought you to the barracks, but betraying and spying and telling lies on the neighbors. It's finally I'd leather your bones now if I could rise up. But remember, you vagabond, the fine Welton I gave you thirty year ago at the fair of Dunmore that left your stump of a nose crushed and broken from that out. Isn't that a fine memory entirely you have? But don't forget the day I threw you down from the top of the bridge in the big river. You were drowned at that time, surely. But that was your hanging you were born for. You be choked. The binding of death on you, you old witherick. 
that's it now. Hit her, Maureen. Give it to her, Collie. Dad bear are fighting one another since the day they were born. Like two whelps and they're going at one another's throats yet. And they two lame old dogs. Oh, if I had but the use of my two feet, you'd catch it from me. Oh, Lord, I not to be able to rise. If I was able to knock that crooked eye out of you altogether, it would be better to me than a sight of heaven. It failed you as it always failed you. Here's you with the can. May the fairies take you. Quiet, quiet. Quiet your noise. The matron is coming. Shh, she's coming. Shh. My grief. The ridge of the whole world not to be between myself and yourself, you rogue of ill luck. It is a hard case you to be beside me here to to take length of two months now. It would be better to me to have Lucifer, the old devil himself, to be in your bed than you. Colleen. Here's your brother. Oh, Colleen, isn't it a poor place that I see you now? Arach, what way are you? Where are you living at all? Well, Pauline, you never asked after me this five years, and what is on you now to be coming to me? Didn't you hear, Colleen? My poor wife died, and I'm home alone with myself now, with none but me in it. I was that lonely I couldn't stand it. I said to myself that I'd come seeking you, and that I'd bring you out of this place. Oh, the blessing of God on your Pauline. You'd be better with me than you are here. And what way of living have you now, Pauline? Are you middling well off? Oh, I have a good house, and I have three lambs to send to the fair of Dunmore after tomorrow. And will you bring me with you today? It is what I was saying to myself. It would take a share of the loneliness from me, you to be with me. You could be sitting in the corner and minding the pot and the fire and throwing a little grain of meal to the chickens while I'd be out in the fields. Oh, the blessing of God on your pudding. There's a neighbour of me own without and a cart with him and he promised to bring you home with me as far as me house if you'd come now. I got a leave from the matron to bring you with me. It's I that will come. May God reward your pudding. Oh, on. Oh, hon, is it going away from me ye are now, Colleen, and leaving me here after ye? I that was near ye ever since you were born. Ye are leaving me among strangers now. Oh, hon, oh, hon. Pauline. What is it? I won't anger you if I ask a little thing of you. You will not. God bless you, and bring the two of us with you. Is it out of your senses ye are, Colleen? Why would I bring that woman with me? Because it's I'm asking you. Indeed, I will not. Let her stop in the place where she is, and it's good enough for her. Pauline. What is it now? It is what I'm considering. This place is not too bad entirely. Not as bad as you know. It's, it is what I'm considering. This place is not too bad entirely. Not as bad, you know, as they say. Maybe you'd sooner be in it than in me house. That's not so, that's not so. But it is what I was thinking to myself. I'm not certain... Certain, as you might say, how... Speak out. I wasn't certain, you know, what way I would be with you. Oh, if you'd sooner be here... That's not it. That's not it. But, Pauline, will you bring this woman along with me? I see now that you are out of your senses altogether. That's not so, Pauline, but... Oh, if you'd only sooner be here, it's the same to me. If it's lonesome I am, I won't be long by myself. If I wanted a wife, I wouldn't have far to go to get her. And the comfortable way of living I have and my three lambs going to the fair after tomorrow. Oh, Pauline, bring the both of us with you. No fear of me. You have your choice now. Come with me or stop where you are. Pauline, I am thinking I will stop. That will do. I gave you your own choice. I'm going. Oh, sir, look, sir. What is that? If you're lonesome, it is I myself would make the kind, fitting wife to you. Pshaw. I am ready to go to take me and I will be a kind wife day and night to you. <laughs> you will not come with me. I will stop, Pauline. I will stop unless you will bring this other woman with you. There may be no luck to you. Goodbye to you. I'd have made a good, kind wife for him. He is gone. Why didn't you call him? That old vagabond would be lonesome without some person to be fighting with her. You lie. She must always be quarrelling with some person. She would be lonesome without me to go against her. You are beginning on your share of lies again. That's no lie, you old glugger, you. 
Oh, glugger. Oh, wait a while. You ugly rogier. Oh, God save us. Look at him at the old work again. Tonight's Upyanga Readers Theatre show was performed in Maynooth at the Hastings Highlands Public Library by Anne Coleman, Leslie Heisert, Gloria Levesque, Valerie Looney, Rod Moffat, Catherine Rull, and Anne K. Wilde. Both plays were produced and adapted by Barry Conway. I'm Lauren Conway, and for all of us here in the upper Madawaska Valley, we hope you find comfort and joy in the new world order that the coronavirus seems to be making for us all. And remember, if the Irish taught us anything tonight, it's that whatever shenanigans and malarkey befall us in life, it's best to face it with a twinkle in your eye. Good night and good luck.